0: so glad you could join us for the mornings at YCVC today. We want to thank you for being a part of our online family and we hope that this message encourages you, blesses you and helps you grow in your walk with him. So let's get into the word. So this morning's reading comes from 2 Chronicles chapter 10 and it's entitled Israel rebels against Rehoboam. So they sent for Jeroboam. And he and all Israel went to Rehoboam and said to him, Your father put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. Rehoboam answered, Come back to me in three days. So the people went away. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father Solomon during his lifetime. How would you advise me to answer these people, he asked. They replied, If you will be kind to these people and please them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. But Rehoboam rejected the advice that the elders gave him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him. He asked them, What is your advice? How should we answer these people who say to me, Lighten the yoke your father put on us. The young men who had grown up with him replied, The people have said to you, Your father put a heavy yoke on us but uh, but make our yoke lighter. Now tell them, My little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. Three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to to Rehoboam and, as the king had said, come back to me in three days. The king answered them harshly, rejecting the advice of the of the elders, he followed the advice of the young man and said, "My father made your yoke heavy. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions." So the king did not listen to the people for his, for this turn of events was from God to fulfill the word of the Lord that the Lord had spoken to Jeroboam, son of Nabat, through Ahijah the Shilonite
1: Good morning. Well, this morning, before we begin into God's Word, uh, as Tony's read, um, I just want to uh, spend some time in prayer, so I just encourage you to uh, pray with me um, before we open up God's Word this morning. Mm. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have to gather and worship you this morning. We thank you for the opportunity uh, and the blessing it is to have your Word um, and in this moment, Lord, I just want to pray for those who are unwell uh, amongst our church family. Uh, those, uh, you know, we have um, two people uh, facing treatment for, um, for cancer and, and, and a third who's a, a family member of a church family member, Lord. And so we pray for those three people um, this morning, Lord. We pray that you would bring healing, um, that you would uh, give the, the medical staff divine uh, divinely inspired wisdom in their treatment, Lord. Um, and we, yeah, we pray one way or another uh, that their healing would come to pass, Lord, that they would be made well, Lord. We pray for the family members of those people, Lord, that you'd give them strength um, uh, to support them in this season. And we pray for us as a church that you'd help us to love them well, Lord. And we pray for those this morning who are ill um, or, or weary, Lord, for any other reason, Father. I pray that by your Spirit, you would give them um, uh, a new uh, uh, injection of, of, of spiritual energy, Lord. And, and I pray for wisdom of how to rest and, and recover, Lord. Um, and so whether, whether we're here this morning or whether we're at home or someone else, Lord, I pray for those who are weary amongst our community um, through illness or other means, that you, would, yeah, that you would really pour out your spirit and revive us, Lord. Mmm. And Father, now I pray that as we come to your word that, that we would come to it and be encouraged, that we'd be inspired, that we'd be challenged and that we'd be transformed by your word this morning. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now David has my slides up, but I realized I've left my clicker behind. Uh, so I'm just going to wander back here. Thank you, David. Um, so we've started this new series called The Kings of Judah. We started last week, um, and so this series is picking up the story of, of Judah, uh, the kings of Judah, following on from the great King David. So last week we explored, explored the beginning of, um, of Solomon's reign and, and this opportunity he had that he was given a blank check from God, and we explored, well, if we had a blank check from God, what would we ask for? Uh, And and the things we tend to commonly ask for are for the world around us to change, to make our life better. But Solomon's request was for uh, a change within him to equip him to his call to face the world around him. Um, And so this week we're continuing uh, that series with uh, uh, Solomon's son Rehoboam. And I just want to say I'm excited about this series. I said this last week, but I just get so excited by coming to God's Word. It's great when we do kind of thematic series and go, what does God's Word have to say about this? I like the culture of the church like we've recently done. But I'm just so excited when we come to a series like this where we just begin with the Bible and see what God has to say through it. And, and so because I've mapped out this whole series, I, I've got to, in a sense, see the whole series, and I'm excited about what's uh, coming ahead, and I'll, I'll restrain myself from preaching the whole series to you this morning, but uh, this week I was thinking it's a little bit like uh, a Netflix series. Um, uh, for those that watch Netflix, it's a it's a streaming service. You can you can watch TV through the interwebs. It's quite fancy, um, but sometimes uh, you can download the whole series at once, and you can like watch forty hours of TV uh, nonstop, and you don't have to wait. There's no waiting for the next one. But sometimes there's this really frustrating thing: you watch one episode, and you're really excited to see what happens next but you have to wait like a week or sometimes if it's the end of the series, you have to wait like two months and for you know, those of us that are in the digital age, it's, it's waiting for five seconds is a challenging thing um, and so I was thinking, you know, the sermon series is a little bit like the TV series, you've got to wait each week for it um, but the truth is that the book is always better than the TV series, is that Right? <laughs> And there's things in the TV series that are in the book that we have to leave out in the TV series because you know otherwise the, the TV series would be uh, ridiculously long and complicated. Um, so I want to encourage you to read the book. This week we're actually jumping about 10 chapters uh, forward in the story um, and so there's stuff that we'll miss out. We're going to pick up some of that along the way today but I want to encourage you, you don't have to wait till next week. You know, the, the next, if the sermon's the equivalent of the TV show, that, that won't be until next Sunday. But you don't have to wait till next week to find out what happens. And the book's even better than the TV series. And so I encourage you to get into to 2 Chronicles. If you're really excited, you can read the prequel, 1 Chronicles. Um, and there's this whole backstory, this back catalogue of stuff, if you want to start in Genesis. But but I really encourage you to be to be reading God's Word and not just having one kind of just not what... You know, the TV series is great, and the thing about a TV series compared to the book, it, it breathes life and gives images to enrich uh, what's happened in the book. And so that's hopefully what we do on a Sunday morning is we enrich the message and, and give life to it. But I want to encourage you uh, to dig into the book um, during the week. So this week, uh, the title of the message is, "This is the Lord's Doing." I want to encourage you to say that with me. This is the Lord's doing. Uh, and so this week we're exploring uh, the, the, the kind of handover passage that, that uh, Tony read of, of Rehoboam becoming king in his father Solomon's place. And, and so the first thing I want to say about this is the Lord's doing is that, that a really encouraging thing for me uh, in, in my life is that God is at work even in our foolishness. Or to put it another way, God's at work even in my stupidity, God is at work. And so we have this passage where where Rehoboam's become king in the place of his father Solomon who was renowned for his wisdom. Last week we talked about what, what did he ask of God when God gave him this blank check and said, ask for anything. Well, Solomon asked for wisdom and knowledge. And so the story of Solomon from that point on, bears out this truth that Solomon was given, this profound and supernatural wisdom. There's this episode from Solomon's life where the Queen of Sheba comes to visit because she's heard that he's extremely wealthy and, and, and extremely wise and, and she comes to visit and she says, the reality is even greater than the story that Solomon was profoundly wise. And so so Rehoboam, his son, takes, takes the throne and uh, the, the the tribes of Israel come to him and say, you know, your father was a bit harsh. Yes, the kingdom has grown and expanded. Yes, we're financially prosperous. Could you ease up on us a little bit now? Can we have a new day where we're not kind of forced into labor to build this kingdom from nothing? And, and so as Tony read for us that... Uh, the, the new king, Rehoboam, he asked the, the, the advisors of Solomon, the, the wise king, and said, well, what should I say? And the advisors of Solomon said, well, yeah, they're probably right. It's probably time to give them a break. And if you're nice to them, if you're generous to the people at this early stage of your, your reign on the throne, you'll have them forever. They'll be yours forever. But then he goes and asks his mates and says, what do you think? And we might think this is kind of a silly thing from, from Rehoboam, but, but he's a young man on the throne, just like Solomon was in the shadow of his father David, Rehoboam's in the shadow of his father Solomon. He doesn't want to seem soft. And so the young men are like, we can't seem soft. Go out and tell them that I'm going to be even harder than Solomon. And so it says in, in uh, two chronicles, chapter 10, 13 to 15, at the end of what Tony read for us, the king answered them harshly, rejecting the advice of the elders, he followed the advice of the young man. He said, "My father made uh, your yoke heavy. I will make it even heavier. "My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions." To which I think, "How does that even work?" <laughs> It reminds me of a scene, who's seen that movie, The Night's Tale? It's pretty old now. I'm yes. dating myself. And there's this guy who's not really great with words, but he's trying to threaten somebody else uh, and says, you know, we'll trust you, you can come with us. But if you uh, betray us, and he's trying to threaten him, and he's like, I'm going to fong you. And he's like, there'll be pain, <laughs> lots of pain. And so to me, Baum sounds like that. He's trying to act tough. But he doesn't really know how. He's like, "I'm going to scourge you with scorpions." I don't even know how that works. Like, they're not scorpions aren't very heavy. Um, They might be poisonous. They look cranky, but I'm sure the whips would actually be worse than the scorpions. But but he's trying to act really tough, and and in the process, he's making himself look stupid. And so it says, so the king didn't listen to the people. But it says, in the midst of Rehoboam's stupidness, in the midst of his foolishness in the midst of this having significant consequences 10 tribes of israel been torn away and becoming a separate kingdom and and the kingdom of israel becoming now the kingdom of israel and judah for the rest of its history until the exile in the midst of these enormous consequences the word of god says but this was from the lord And so, it's immensely reassuring to me that even when I'm an absolute fool, God can work through that to accomplish His purposes. Even when I'm stupid, God can work through that to accomplish His purposes. He's so good, He's so wise, He's so intelligent, He can use foolishness and stupidity to accomplish His purposes. Now, to get get an idea of, well, what was God up to here? Why is God dividing his people into two kingdoms? We we need to flip back to um, 1 Kings. And so, uh, if you're not familiar, 1 Kings, uh, the, the books of Samuel and 1 Kings and 2 Kings and the books of 1 and 2 Chronicles overlap and cover some familiar territory. And so, in 1 Kings, we get this story of Solomon that doesn't show up in the account of Chronicles so I'm just going to read some snippets but in 1 Kings chapter 11 verses 4 and 6 where I mean two kings in 1 Kings chapter 11 verses 4 to 6 it says as Solomon this is Rehoboam's father as Solomon grew old his wives and he had like a thousand of them which has already been disobedient to God having more than one his wives turned his heart after other gods and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the, as the heart of David his father had been. He followed the Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Moloch, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David his father had done. Now this is evidence to uh, demonstrate that even the wisest of men beca- can become extremely foolish when it becomes to women. Now it says, the women led his heart astray. I want to say it's not the women's fault. I believe that his heart was led astray. It's that even the wisest of men can become really foolish when it comes to women, but not the women's fault. And so in response to this, one of the the young men who was kind of a leader of people within um, Solomon's uh, reign uh, is is given this prophetic word from God that we read in 1 Kings 11, starting at verse 29. It says, About that time Jeroboam was going out of Jerusalem. So Jeroboam's this young man who was a leader uh, in uh, Solomon's kingdom. And Ahijah the prophet of Shiloh met him on the way wearing a new cloak. The two of them were alone in the country, and Ahijah took hold of the new cloak he was wearing and tore it into 12 pieces. Then he said to Jeroboam, Take 10 pieces for yourself, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. See, I'm going to tear the kingdom, of Solomon's hand, tear the kingdom out of Solomon's hand and give you 10 tribes. But for the sake of my servant David and the city of Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, he will have one tribe. I will do this because they have forsaken me and worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of of the Sidonians, Chemosh, the goddess of the Moabites, and Moloch, the god of the Ammonites, and have not walked in my ways, nor done what is right in my eyes, nor kept my statutes and laws, as as David, Solomon's father, did. And so Rehoboam's foolishness, which you can draw a straight line from his foolishness, from his stupidity to the division of Israel, but, but God was at work in that and through that to accomplish the prophecy that he had already spoken many years before. God had a plan in place that was a consequence for Solomon's behavior well before Rehoboam was foolish and stupid. But it was Rehoboam's foolishness that God used to bring about his purpose, to fulfill his prophecy. And so I was excited as I was studying this a few weeks ago to to just have the thought of even when I mess up, God can achieve his purpose through me. It's not just when I'm at my best that God can use me. Our mistakes aren't big enough or bad enough to overturn God's plans. Sometimes like the, the, the whole nation of Israel, when we make a silly mistake like not trusting God to give us the promised land, we might have to make a detour. It might, <coughs> pardon me, take longer to get where God wants us to go. But then God even uses that detour through the wilderness to establish something in us that wasn't there before, a, a level of faith, a level of trust that, that prepared us to be in the promised land. But the thing is that, that God can even use our foolishness and mistakes for his purposes. God can use me at my worst because he's always at his best. God is at work even in our foolishness. And even more than that, though, God's not just at work in our foolishness and our, our stupidity. He's prepared to put his name on it. 1 Chronicles 10, 15, again, it it says, So the king did not listen to the people, for this turn of events was from God. Now, the way this is written, this not listening to the people is portrayed as a a, a really foolish act of leadership over the nation. But God's prepared to put his name on it. This turn of events was from me. Now, I want to suggest that God didn't cause Rehoboam's stupidity. It's not his fault. It didn't belong to him. The foolishness belonged to Rehoboam, but God doesn't distance himself from it. God doesn't go, Whoo! Rehoboam, that was stupid. I'm having nothing to do with this. I'm, I'm going to stand over here and let that happen for you. God chose to work through Rehoboam's foolishness And he even chose to put his name upon it and said, this is my doing. And so it's kind of like when we sin, that's not God's fault. He doesn't cause it, but he's chosen to wear it. He's chosen to bear the punishment as if it was his own. he's put his name on our sin and said, I will bear the punishment for that as if it was my own sin. In this place where Rehoboam is foolish and it has consequences, God's prepared to put his name on it and so say, that was my doing. But so this episode leads us into a space where Rehoboam's faced with a hard thing, and, but he doesn't yet know that this was from God. He doesn't yet know that that Jeroboam had this prophecy that 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 uh, he was going to be given ten tribes of Israel. He doesn't know that God had this plan before he even became king, and, and so he's faced with a hard thing, and his his logical reaction is to fight against it. In one Chronicles, uh, sorry, two Chronicles, chapter eleven, verse one. Skipping uh, along a little bit, we're told that Rehoboam when Rehoboam arrived in Jerusalem. So when he when he arrived back in his capital city, he mustered Judah and Benjamin, so the, uh, the, the two kind of connected tribes that formed the kingdom of Judah. Uh, he mustered Judah and Benjamin, 180,000 able young men to go to war against Israel and regain the kingdom for Rehoboam. And so Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, who grew up in the most prosperous season of Israel's Existence that they had ever known to that point or would ever know again. Rehoboam, the son of prosperity, Rehoboam, the son of comfort and success for Israel, is faced with a hard thing. I'm sure his favorite parts of um, Psalm 23 that, that his grandpa David wrote uh, were the first three verses. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside quiet waters, he restores my soul, he guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Amen, here endeth the reading for Rehoboam. That had been his experience of, 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 of what it means to walk with God, it just means blessing and prosperity and expansion of the kingdom and comfort and other people coming to your daddy's throne room and going, you're so wise, you're so great and we want to bless you and we want to pay tribute to you. That's what Rehoboam had seen of what being a king and what being a faithful king to God looked like. The first three verses of Psalm 23. Fun, easy, beautiful. If he was king today, he'd be, uh, all his Instagram posts would say, hashtag blessed life, um, or something like that. And so his natural response, when he had this, uh, likely had this theology of what it means to be God's chosen king, means comfort, ears, blessing, his natural response was to fight this hard thing as something that wasn't from God, to reject it, to. To, to come against it in the name of the Lord, to, to bind it in the name of Jesus. Obviously a bit anachronistic there, but go with me. And, and to, to to claim and name and claim Jesus' deliverance over it. To push away this hard thing from God. But but then the prophet comes to King Rehoboam. He says, but this word of the Lord came to Shemaiah the man of God. Say to Rehoboam, son of Solomon, king of Judah, and and to all Israel, Judah and Benjamin, this is what the Lord says, do not go up to fight against your fellow Israelites, go home, every one of you, for this is my doing. This is the Lord's doing. And, And so the most remarkable thing in this entire passage for me is this. So they obeyed the words of the Lord and turned back from marching against Jeroboam. Rehoboam's just lost most of his kingdom. Naturally, given his experience, he's wanted to fight against this, this hard thing. And so it's remarkable for me that they get this prophetic word that says, don't fight it, just go home. Live out, live through this hard thing because it's from God and they do so Psalm 23 has more than three verses verse 4 says even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death I will fear no evil for you are with me your rod and your staff they comfort me Sometimes hard things that we face in life, sometimes the valley of the shadow of death is a place that God himself has led us to. Sometimes hard things are from the Lord. We see this in Jesus' life where he's he's baptized and he has this moment where where the Spirit descends on him like a dove and he's got this uh, Holy Spirit anointing upon him and he hears the words from heaven of his heavenly Father saying, this is my Son with whom I'm well pleased. And then what happens next? He goes to the wilderness, but the Scripture says he was driven into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit where he fasted for 40 days and was tempted by Satan. Now, when we, when we come to the scripture and have this sense of only good things, happy, joy-filled, blessed things, hashtag blessed life comes from God, then, then it doesn't fit with the picture of, of life that the scripture gives us. Jesus himself was driven into the wilderness to spend 40 days without food and water and be tempted by Satan. And he was driven there by the Holy Spirit. Sometimes hard things are from the Lord. And so like Rehoboam, our, our natural response to hard things, particularly because we're soft, comfortable Westerners, I'm a soft, comfortable Westerner, is to fight them, is to reject them, to name uh, the, the, the name of Jesus over them, which is not a bad thing to do because we want things to be fun and easy. But the thing is, hard things aren't just... Be, they're not of punishment. And, and that's what... you know. We can, we can look at the story of Rehoboam and, and go back to Solomon and we can see that this, this division of the kingdom of Israel into two is a punishment because of Solomon's unfaithfulness. And so because we're familiar with some of these Old Testament stories, when, when we go through hard times, we can think, God is punishing me for something. Or I must be cursed or there must be something against me because, because I'm facing this hard thing and so God must not be in this or he's punishing me for it. But, but how many sins was Jesus being punished for in the wilderness? None. None. In fact, he's the one who has borne all of our sins and so we can confidently say in this era, this after Christ season, that if we're facing something hard in life, the number one thing we can confidently say about it is, it is not punishment from God for sin. If you're facing a hard time in your life at the moment, let me say that over your life again. It is not punishment from God for your sin because Jesus has borne your sin upon the cross. And so we need to separate this idea of, of hard things from our idea of punishment because sometimes hard things come from the Lord but, but God is never punishing us for, his sin, for our sin because His Son has borne our sin on the cross. It's been dealt with. It is finished. The hard things are about something else. There's things that God can accomplish in the hard places that he can't accomplish when we're by on the green pastures and by the streams of waters. Faith grows in the hard places, character grows grows in the hard places so this is not just old testament theology in in Romans chapter 5 verses 3 and 4 Paul's talking about rejoicing in the blessings that have come from God and and the the blessed life that we have in God but then he says in verse 3 and 4 not only so not only do we just rejoice in those things but we also glory in our sufferings but not for their sake not because we're masochists but Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Hard things produce perseverance in a way that good, fun, easy, blessed life things can't. Hard things produce perseverance and perseverance produces character. Hard things, hard seasons, wilderness experiences produce character in us in a way that that living on the mountaintop in a place of ease, feasting on the green pasture, if you're a sheep, it's not uh, uh, an enticing image if you're uh, um, not a uh, vegan, um, but, uh, but there's a character that's produced when, when God leads us into hard places that's, that's not produced, in the easy seasons. And that character produces a hope in us. And it's interesting that the, the, the fruit of perseverance and character is hope. And, and so, when we're in a hard season in life, sometimes we've just got to let this process be borne out within us by God. We won't want to fight against the thing, we might want to rally hundreds of thousands of young men to go and fight against Israel. and Of course, this involves discernment. We shouldn't just accept every difficult thing in life as, as something from God. But, but sometimes we've just got to let this run its process. It's not just Paul who has this theology that involves hard things in the New Testament. Uh, the Apostle Peter says this, In all of this, you greatly rejoice. Peter's again referring to the great blessings that come through knowing Jesus. He says, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. The Apostle Peter too says there's so much blessing, so much joy, so much richness, so much quality of life that comes from knowing Jesus. He says an amen to Jesus' words. I've come that you might have life and have it to the full, abundantly overflowing, joy-filled life. But also, for a little while, you might have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. And Peter says, though, these, these have come so that the proven genuine, genuineness of your faith, which is of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. As the Apostle Peter is saying that there's something about these trials that you've had to persevere just for a little while in, this, in the grand scheme of things. You know, this life is just just a tiny bit compared to eternity, but but these trials that you are facing. This grief that you experience in the hard things, that's producing something. That's refining your faith. Just as gold's refined in a fire. But he says faith's worth even more than gold. And and these hard things refine that faith. They prove the worth of that faith. And the result is praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Hard things in life are never, if our faith is in Jesus, hard things in life are never, ever punishment for your sin. So we don't need to look to, what have I done to deserve this? That's the, that's the number one cut you off the knees when you're facing a hard thing in life, when we go down that route of, what have I done to deserve this? not about that so we don't need to ask what have we done to deserve this we can ask what is god producing in me and through me in this hard thing what what in what ways is god developing perseverance in me that will grow to a greater depth of character that will produce this overflow of hope and paul goes on to say in that passage hope doesn't disappoint What what is God producing in in my perseverance space, in my character space, in my hope space through this hard thing? What is God developing in my faith? What is he refining in me that that is gonna ultimately bear fruit and praise and glory for God? What is God doing in me in the midst of this hard thing that can't be achieved in me in the easy spaces? You know, I said uh, in, in testimony time that, you know, there's been some things I've worried about over the last couple of weeks and and I acknowledge they're, they're not actually that hard of things. They're, they're worry about some blessing uh, and how to manage that and stuff like that. But I so desperately wanted it all to be easy. I wanted it all just to be like, click, click, boom. Oh, just look at the divine blessing God has just showered down on me in this, this ease. And... Uh, and instead, I found myself having to to fight for things that I believe God's leading me in, but I've had to fight for them, you know. And sometimes I wish I didn't, you know, have a sermon coming up about having to, you know, receive hard things as from the Lord, and 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 maybe then I wouldn't have to face anything hard because it's kind of like sometimes I feel like God leads me into a place of trying to pre-practice what I'm about to preach. Um, uh, and, and and so. I woke up on, um, on uh, Thursday morning and, and I just had uh, in, my, in my heart that song. It's an old song, but this is the day, this is the day that the Lord had me, that the Lord... And I was like, yes, amen. <laughs> Things are going to happen today and I'm not going to have to do anything about it. God is just going to come and deliver all of this on a silver platter for me. And the reality is that there was a great blessing that day. But I had to fight for it. I had to contend for it. I had to uh, spend hours doing something that I didn't want to do to receive what God was putting in front of us. But there's a, a character that's produced a, 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 a joy, a perseverance. That there's something produced in us when, when we have to contend for things instead of against them when the hard thing produces something that the silver platter doesn't. And so Rehoboam obeyed God. He gets this word from the prophet saying, this isn't something to fight against us from the enemy, this is something from the Lord. And so they obeyed God. They trusted him in the midst of the hard thing. And so the good news is, when we obey God, when we trust Him, when we commit ourselves to Him in the midst of the hard thing, the hard thing doesn't always disappear, but there's blessing in the midst of the hard things. In, in 2 Chronicles chapter, six, uh, sorry, chapter 11, verses 16 to 17, it says this, it, uh, just after it says they obeyed God, it says, Those from every tribe of Israel who set their hearts on seeking the Lord, the God of Israel, followed the Levites to Jerusalem to offer sacrifices to the Lord, the God of their ancestors. They strengthened the kingdom of Judah and supported Rehoboam, son of Solomon, three years, following the ways of David and Solomon during this time. And so what happens as a result of of Rehoboam and his kingdom saying, okay, this is a hard thing to swallow. I have just lost almost all of the kingdom. I want to rally the troops. I want to fight against it. I want to name and claim the authority of Jesus over it and reject it. They said, okay, if this is from the Lord, we'll go home. But the result of that, instead of there being conflict between the two kingdoms, and instead of everyone being stuck on, on either side of the battle line, it, it gave people this moment of choice of, of, of who were they going to side with. It's this picture of, I don't know the story well, but when India and Pakistan were divided, and there could have been, you know, there's obviously been lots of conflict since, but there could have been this great war over territory. But what ended up happening was just this peaceful process, as I understand it. Sometimes the history we get given is nothing like the truth, but where where those who wanted to be Pakistanis went to Pakistan's territory, and those who wanted to be Indian went to Indian territory. There was just this migration. I'm getting a big shake of the head, but um, I know there's been conflict since. And probably, yeah, it's not there. But that's, that's the story I heard. But that's, that's what's happening here, is that those who, who want to be faithful to God have this moment of, I'm with Solomon. Uh, I'm with Rehoboam. And so all of those who are, are, are faithful to the Lord leave their territory, leave their lands, and move to Judah. And so what ends up happening is, in this place where Rehoboam had accepted the hard thing of losing almost all of the kingdom, he ends up losing so much less. Yes, in lands and territories, but this, this two tribes of Israel becomes almost half of the kingdom. And in fact, it ends up being the most enduring, uh, there's conflict between Israel and Judah back and forth, and there's times where one's stronger and the other's stronger, but, but Judah ends up being the most enduring uh, enduring and strong kingdom of these two kingdoms. And so what happens is, is that they obeyed God, they swallowed the hard thing and there's blessing in the midst of that. It says for three years, that's because unfortunately if we turn the page, it says after all of this became strong and secure, Rehoboam turned from God. It's not that God only gave him three years of favour, it's that he in the midst of God's favour turned from, from God and, and lost as a result uh, some of the blessing. But so when we're faithful to God, when we obey God in the midst of the hard thing, there's blessing. See, there's more verses to Psalm 23. It's not just about the the blessed life of of green pastures and quiet waters. It's not just about the valley of the shadow of death. In verse 5 and 6 of Psalm 23, it says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows, surely and goodness and sorely, goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, when we trust in God in the midst of the hard thing, his goodness follows us into the hard places. It's not that God always removes us. Uh, from a space of having enemies. It's not that God always squashes the enemies. It's not that God always removes all contention and conflict from your life. But when we trust in Him, He prepares a banquet table before you in the midst of your enemies. Rehoboam trusted God and, and God didn't just go, okay, you can have all the kingdom back, but, but what he lost was so much less than what he was meant to lose. He ended up with so much more than he was meant to have because he trusted in God. And so even in the hard places, there is blessing from God for you. And so the question is not so much one of, like, how long does this season of difficulty have to last, but but one of, who does God want to be for me in the midst of this hard season? What blessings is God wanting to pour out for me in the wilderness? See, God didn't say to Israel, even when it was their own stupid mistake, their foolishness to not trust God and enter into the promised land, God didn't say to Israel, okay, you're on your own for 40 years. God's presence went th- with them through the wilderness. He was, he was blessing them with water from rocks. He was blessing them with manna on the ground that all they had to do was gather it up. He was blessing them and providing for them. We're told that their clothes, even though they wandered through the wilderness and they all died and the next generation came up, but in the wilderness there was no space for them to um, you know, harvest fiber to make clothes or kill animals to make clothes out of uh, But we're told that their clothes didn't wear out for 40 years. They they journeyed through this really hard season as a nation, but, but God provided for them in the midst. Who does God want to be? What does God want to provide for you in the midst of the hard thing? Here's the thing. God can work through every part of you and me, not just us at our best. God can work through our brilliance. He can work through our wisdom. He can work through our foolishness. He can work through our success. He can work through our failures. He can work through our stupidity to accomplish His purpose. In life, sometimes there are hard things, but that doesn't mean that they're not from God. But here's really the thing: even if it's not from God, He is so good that He will work through all things, so that when we look back, we can only possibly say that must have been from God. Even if it's the enemy's work to come against us, even if it's a negative consequence of our own decisions, even if there's some other reason for the hard thing we're walking through, that's that's not God's doing. God is so good that when we trust trust in Him through that hard thing, He will bring about so much good if we just trust in Him that when we look back upon it, our reflection will be, that was from the Lord. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. Life is a journey, to be extremely cliché. We do have a good shepherd that, that leads us by quiet waters, that leads us to places who refresh our soul, who leads us to green pastures of provision and nourishment. But life is sometimes just really hard and difficult. Sometimes we walk through a valley of the shadow of death where where everything just seems to be going wrong or everything seems difficult where we kind of think, well, where's this prosperity from God? Where's the hashtag blessed life gone? And, And we can take comfort in knowing that even in that valley of the shadow of death, the Lord is right there with us but not just there with us, that that something within us in the midst of the hard thing has been produced that could not be produced in the midst of good things, well, pleasant things. Because the thing is, hard things and good things aren't mutually exclusive. But when we trust in God, when we put our faith in Him, when we rely on Him, not just in the good season, but in the hard season, that we discover blessing, manna, refreshing water, banquet tables prepared for us in the midst of our enemies. So I want to invite you to stand and we're going to uh, sing and, and worship God together. Um, so what I I'm going to pray and then as we sing this song, what I want to encourage you to do is whatever season you're in in your life, just declare the words of this song over. It says, it's, it's, picks up on um, that verse from Romans 8. 28 and says you make all things work together for my good and so if you're in a hard season I encourage you to to in this uh, moment this morning as you declare that over your life to say God what are you working in me through this where's your blessing in the midst of this Mm, so heavenly father we thank you that even when we are foolish you can work through us your redemptive power Your redemptive wisdom is so good that even when we're not at our best, you can work through us. And Father, we thank you. And as Paul said, we rejoice this morning in the hard things that bring about perseverance, character, hope, that produce in us a faith that's of more worth than gold. So we rejoice this morning, Lord, in the hard things. And we declare in Jesus' name that you work through all things for the good of those that love you. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Thanks for joining us today. As you head back into your week, we want to encourage you to stay in his word, stay in his love, and stay strong in your faith. Don't forget to keep up to date with what's happening via Facebook, Instagram, or via our website at ycbc.church. See you soon.